It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flint composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner, and uh, we got a good one today. Coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour, we're going to um, talk with uh, a Hall of Fame game inventor and executive. He tells the uh, inside story of the toy industry in his uh, quasi-memoir, A Game Maker's Life, by Jeffrey Breslow. He'll join me, as I mentioned, during the third half of our three-hour tour. In the middle of our three-hour tour, I'm going to talk with um, Spencer Schneider, who is the author of a, uh, a book called Manhattan Cult Story. And uh, this is this is fascinating stuff. Let me uh, let me just roll over here in my notes a little bit. Yeah, my unbelievable true story of sex crimes, chaos, and survival. And uh, it starts out. A, he was a 29-year-old Manhattan corporate lawyer when an an acquaintance invited him to a secret meeting of an esoteric school for inner development, which turned out to be a cult run by a woman and uh, we're going to hear about that coming up in just a little bit we're going to start out with uh, if you think that's weird we're going to start out with the uh, editor and I think editor but uh, contributor for sure from a Nat uh, Geo or National Geographic Kids project Um, they have a new book out and it's called How to Speak Animal, and who better to do that than Dr. Gabby Wild, who's been on the show before talking about her uh, another collaboration with Nat Geo, um, Wild Adventures, meaning Dr. Wild's Adventures, because she's a veterinarian, but she treats all kinds of wild animals, and she's traveled all over the world. Uh, treating lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. Um, Anyway, we're going to talk with uh, Gabby coming up in just a few minutes. But this is going to be weird this next couple of weeks, trying to get used to the idea that these are the last two weeks of the Tom Sumner program for a while. I'm going to uh, suspend my search for civilization. known as the Tom Sumner Program, um, indefinitely, but not, um, but maybe not forever. Um, in any event, uh, the 
last show will be Friday, September 2nd. I think it's going to be uh, highlighting all the musical guests from the studio from back before the pandemic. So a lot of it will be um, live performances from in the studio on the Tom Sumner program. But that's that's a couple of weeks away yet. Um, there are several reasons why I'm suspending the show. But as I said in, a, in a, an announcement on Facebook, if I were to pick three... They would be dwindling audience, increasing difficulty raising money, and because for the last 15 years I've been trying to set an example of how information should be explored, respected, and shared in a civilized way, and yet public conversation throughout the country is becoming meaner and less informed. And uh, I, I don't see any sign that, that I'm making much of a difference in that. Um, I'm, but, uh, uh, let's see, I, I'm not sure what I'm going to do next, um, any disappointment or burnout I might be feeling, uh, doesn't diminish the pride I have in the caliber of guests that the show has attracted, political candidates, best-selling authors, live music, and the variety of studios and locations that we've done shows from, um, Guests, listeners, contributors of money and other resources all have contributed to uh, the show earning a, a reputation I never could have imagined when I started out 15 years ago. In any event, um, I say thank you and I, and I will uh, point out that uh, I, I'm not sure what I'm going to do next. Um, I'm taking suggestions so far. They are run for office, write a book, um, and and I'm leaning toward my personal favorite, binge watch the A-Team. Um, in any event, uh, an archive of the Tom Sumner program is being developed in the Genesee County History section of the U of M Flint Library. And uh, I'll be sharing more about that probably uh, on Facebook when I know more. If I know more before the end of the show in two weeks, I will share it as, as it becomes available. In any event, let's get wild with Dr. Gabby Wild from uh, National Geographic coming up straight ahead. Don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. <music> Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program, and we're going to shift gears uh, a little bit uh, this hour. Um, we talk all the time, but not always to animals. <laughs> um, and and we're going to learn a little bit about communicating with animals with uh, somebody who uh, is a veterinarian, but uh, also... Uh, connected with National Geographic as she uh, her practice takes her all over the world. She's been on the show before. Dr. Gabby Wild uh, teamed up with Nat Geo to put out a, uh, a new book called How to Speak Animal. And we're going to talk about animal communication with Gabby, who joins me by phone. Good morning, Gabby. Welcome back. Hi, good morning. It's such a pleasure to be back. Thank you for having me. Um, Gabby, people talk to their animals all the time, but the kind of communication you're talking about in this book from 
Nat Geo is uh, a little different than pouring your heart out to your house pets? You know, it's funny you say that. We divided the book into a few different sections, so that way we could touch upon a way for kids to relate to it. So that way when people read this book, they're like, well, I, I know what it's like to relate to my dog or my cat, but um, I, I'm not as familiar with how to relate to a lion, for example. And, you know, being a vet, I have to know how to deal with all different species. So the last section of the book is actually called By Our Side, and it's about animals that we are domestic, basically domesticated animals that we deal with all the time, including dogs and cats. And believe it or not, a lot of the animals that we talk about in this book deal with when you say pouring your heart out like talking to them or snuggling with them a lot of wild animals also communicate with each other the same way and sometimes they might not snuggle with other species but they'll hit other species um, and that kind of interspecies communication happens so even scream out at other species for defense mechanisms so you know they're very different forms of communication and the book divides the different forms and what species use for which situation and if those species even have that kind of communication. Some species don't even have eyes so they're not going to be you know looking to see if you've got pretty feathers but they, uh, they, they might absolutely use pheromones or hormones to communicate. As a, a long answer to a simple question about dogs. No, 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 no. I, I, I want to get into this because we hear about um, people doing research with animals uh, from time to time, like um, famously uh, uh, gorillas being taught sign language. And, um, you know, there, there, there's been, you know, things written about how smart and communicative dolphins are, for example. Is this kind of research going on all the time? And is it, um, are, are animals able to actually learn and recognize words or, they're or is it just sounds and moods that they react to? Oh, you hit the, the, the sensitive button. So when I say that, there's that delicacy of defining what is language. And um, many of the scientists who are working with these species say, yes, these animals are understanding words and they're not just mimicking, because that's a really big argument that they're saying they're mimicking, but they're actually understanding what the word is. Well, we've so seen that with birds. Words that, you know, repeat right. things that they've heard. And and we're sort of used to that, and we like to pretend that, you know, we're having conversations. Um, but but I just wonder if, um, if our words aren't being recognized and understood by a lot of different species. Exactly. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. And I was going to say, with the discussion you mentioned with the gorillas, why you pushed the sensitive button. In the, um, in the 60s, a study by Drs. Gardner, husband and wife duo, started teaching ASL to, chimpanze to a chimpanzee. Her name is Washu. And she, at the age of 10 months, started to learn hundreds of signs. And she was able not only to, you know, 
murmur signs that they were providing her and respond to them, but she actually would communicate back what she wanted. So if she needed something, she learned that this sign language meant I, I'm hungry, for example, or I want this ball. I want my dolly. She loved her dolly when she was little. She always wanted her dolly. So she, she started there. And then you mentioned the gorillas. So there's a very famous gorilla by the name of Coco who was able to learn thousands of signs um, simply to a human child. And um, she eventually, I think, learned more than 2,000. Um, and it was, it was actually incredible. She lived with another gorilla, and that gorilla actually learned from her. And they, if you will, spoke to each other in American Sign Language ASL. And then from there, um, additional studies have been done with bonobos. What was really, really cool, and this is where the big argument comes for about is this language, and, and I say this with a question mark because when we wrote this book as Nat Geo and as scientists, we all had to be really, really cautious about even using that word, but let's say communicating. In terms of their communication, they, um, they didn't know, I should say Coco, didn't know the word for ring. And she saw one of the scientists wearing a ring. But she knew the word for finger, and she knew the word for bracelet. And she combined those, say, the finger bracelet. So she was able to... Really? Yes, yes. So it's, it's amazing how we, we were able to find a way to communicate to them. And so you mentioned dolphins, and yes, we're finding ways to communicate to them. But here's the big caveat. I almost think it's a, it's a way of us to gauge their IQ level on a human scale. But our big issue is we're not being Dr. Doolittle. He was able to speak to them and understand what they were saying to each other and what, what was going on. We're forcing them to understand our language so that we can have a, a little discussion with them. But why don't we learn their language so we understand the nuances, even in other foreign languages? You know how we say there are some words and some phrases that really you can only say in another language because of the mood of the language. Or same thing for animals. I am certain the way they communicate, the only way to really understand it is to understand their tongue. But how do we get to that place where we understand what that bird call really is saying and we're getting there there's studies being done all over and mainly um through, through cornell uh, I, i'm a little bit biased since i'm a vet from cornell but <laughs> cornell's lab of ornithology i know go big red if anybody's listening go big red um it's, it's a cult we're a wonderful strong cult but um they they've been doing phenomenal studies to understand animal communication especially with birds. And they have a whole library of animal sounds from, from whales to elephants to, to birds, thousands of species, to, to better understand what does that possibly mean. But in the, and in the process of doing that, we must be learning a lot about animals and their ability to reason. More about speaking animal with veterinarian Dr. Gabby Wild straight ahead. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-Double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County. Where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Babies come with lots of decisions. Cloth or disposable? Crib or bassinet? So when it comes to protection, go with the safest, most effective choice, vaccination. Get all the recommended vaccines for your baby by age two to protect your child against 14 serious childhood diseases. For more reasons to vaccinate, talk to your child's doctor. Go to cdc.gov vaccines or call 800-CDC-INFO. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention.
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More about speaking animal with veterinarian Dr. Gabby Wild straight ahead. I, I am I'm still a little stunned and, and fascinated by um, that, that that primate who couldn't fig, didn't know the word for ring, but was able to reason that words that the animal knew bracelet and and um finger they could convey that message they could i'm not sure i could reason that out (laughs) that you could you could say you know um a finger bracelet to convey the message a ring that's that's that sounds like pretty advanced reasoning to me a is it it is and and b is that what we're starting to learn? I know there's been a lot of a, a lot of things written about the studies with dolphins and being able to understand them and their ability to reason. But are are we finding that that all animals have an intelligence that we haven't endowed them with in the past? Oh, you hit another one of my little sensitive buttons. Yes, so. When we consider that on a human scale, we, we usually use the score of IQ. And every species has evolved and adapted to be exactly where they are right now. And they've survived to make that happen. So, for example, um, you might not think of a starfish deep in the, in the sea as being particularly intelligent. However... It has survived to be in those depths, and we have not. And they have these really primal, if you will, um, eyes at the tips of their tentacles. And they can see with those little eyes, and some of them even have bioluminescence, so that they can glow a little bit. And they can use their eyes to, to really primal. I mean, they don't see color, but they see light dark. And, and shades of, of gray, if you will. And so that form of communication, when they will light up and how they can, you know. Can they will, recognize shapes? Somebody, yeah, recognize each other in order to do what they need to do. Um, that's pretty darn intelligent for them. It works for them. Now, they could not survive in, you know, a laboratory with us or on Wall Street or on your radio show. They would be. They'd be very silent guests on the show. Yeah, starfish are more, that's more of a TV thing. That's more of a TV thing. And even there, the the, the host might be like, hey, could you wave your tentacle? And and that starfish would be like, I don't have ears. I told you I have eyes. So, so, you know, but it evolved for them. But a lot of the time what fascinates people is to find ways that our brains are analogous to the brain of another species and using that interspecies communication. Um, and that's why I think when we're so fascinated by other primates like Coco the gorilla, like um, Washu the chimpanzee and the variety of dolphins that have been studied, you know, it, it fascinates us because we find more similarities to us, with them. And I think it develops this sense of empathy that people 
wish they had no matter what, because think about people who are not able to communicate, you know, for whatever unfortunate reasons that they may have. But it forms this extra form of, of empathy that I just wish we all had instinctively, no matter what. You know, when you mention um, the the starfish, uh, or the, the eyes being primal, it, it got me thinking there are certain primal things that, all animals and and humans share uh, survival instinct, fight, flight or uh, fight response. Some of those things that that are just basic to life. Mm-hmm. Is that the place to start to understand and communicate with animals? Is with those things that are that are commonalities. The need for food, the you know, all, all of these things that we already know we have in common just by virtue of being alive. That's a great question, and I would say yes. And that's the first part of understanding these, these different species. How do they survive? And the way to survive is food and understanding their behavior. So is this a species that is solitary? Well, somehow they have to find a mate. So how do they do that? How do they know the different seasons? What are, what is their behavior? So obviously, well, they, they can't meet together. them on Facebook like everybody else. Exactly, they're not <laughs> using social media, or are they? Or that's are they? that's you know, an we, interesting we, question. Um, is there a language used um, by by species individually? But is there but in addition to that, is there a universal language that all species understand? Oh, what a philosophical question. On a religious level, I would say yes, because I am religious. But on a scientific level, I'd have to tell you we have not discovered anything like that except the language of being alive. And all of us require oxygen, so that is our first bit of being alive, I suppose, and that drive to live. But then there is a part of of some species where they actually do desire to no longer live like octopuses that eventually um, wither away once they they have mated, for example. But um, it's a very philosophical question. Well, I I, I just wonder because there are interactions between various species, just even... um understanding uh, well maybe not understanding but at least recognizing the existence of a food chain if you will i i believe yes whether it is conscious or this more subconscious level depending on the species um animals are somehow aware of the place in the pecking order which is how they've evolved the behaviors to protect themselves or how to attack others or how to work with their packs. So we, we have to look at the different orders of, of species and then go into understanding how they are related to one another. So, for example, we think of like packing animals. So if we talk about hyenas, let's just talk about that. They, they hunt together in order to be successful. 
and they have a variety of calls. We call them the laughing hyena, but they have different laughs that signal from one to the other. You go there, you go there, I need help here, I need you to go there. So they, they communicate with one another to get what they need done. Whereas um, the prey were evolved to firstly the structurally different. So you look at the hyena, the eyes are on the front of their head, just like us. So we're we're instant instantaneously notified as predators to most herbivores, whereas their prey usually are herbivores with um, eyes on the sides of their head, and their entire team of herbivores is keenly aware of how to avoid being the, the weakest link so that they don't get attacked, but they all stay in packs together and they all are listening to those those calls. So you might, one of my favorites is listening to like the, the, uh, the prairie dogs and how they are very keenly aware of the different signs for hawk and they'll, they'll hear a hawk and they actually have, if you will, little squeaks that say, oh, it's a hawk. We all have to get underground. So, you know, we, and sorry, now you hear my, my compatriot sitting in my lap. My chihuahua got all excited about hearing, hearing about prairie dogs. Um, <laughs> you hear a little snorting over here. That's, that's her excited about this. She's communicating to me. And as a veterinarian, I know that this honking that she has because she has a weak trachea, we call it a collapsing trachea, we have learned in, in veterinary medicine that sometimes it can be induced by a sympathetic response, meaning that she's excited. So as a veterinarian, I know that means I need to calm her down and let her relax so she can then re- reduce her sympathetic response and come back to a normal plane and breathe nicely. So as a little aside, in real life, um, pets by your side, understanding of things. So, so yeah, so this is how animals have adapted. And I hope that somewhat answers your question. Yeah, you mentioned um, hyenas uh, hunting in packs and, and working in packs. And and a lot of animals do that. Um, yeah. You know, we, we think of uh, wolves, uh, or wolves rather, um, as as being a, a real common example of that, um, is there a pecking order to that? An organizational structure, and and I would think they would need methods of communication in order to organize um, and and to um, work that organization in doing things as you described with absolutely. hyenas. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So you, you just hit the nail on the head. So the pack of wolves absolutely have their, their pecking order. Um, hyenas in their packs, we actually technically call hyena packs clans. Um, they also have their pecking order, and they use that pecking order to say, okay, this, this is the head honcho hyena, the alpha, and um, they they actually will decide who eats first. Same way with wolves, and same way with with lions. Actually, I'm um, using the males go first, but but generally and um, generally speaking, they actually decide who is the head honcho, and that is based off of the ways of communication. On usually they um, 
they communicate with body language to let you know who's the head honcho. It's not usually with a, a, a descriptor, but there are other species that have figured out, if you will, a name for one another. So they have a specific call. Uh, one of my favorite ways of, of thinking about it are the emperor penguins with their mummies and, and fathers and their chicks. I mean, could you imagine? I'm trying to imagine going to toddler school and trying to find my toddler when I go to pick him up. And could you imagine all of these thousands of chicks and you're trying to squeak and, and hear your chicks squeak? They have learned what their parents sound like and what their baby sounds like in order to help identify their baby. I find that absolutely amazing. So they, they actually can identify that. My ears would never be able to, to do that. My guest is Dr. Gabby Wild, and um, we're talking about her latest book with uh, Nat Geo, uh, National Geographic Kids, um, How to Speak Animal. Gabby, the last time you were on the show, we were talking about um, your veterinary practice and working with wild animals. Um, yes. I think it was Wild Adventures with Dr. Wild or something. I can't remember the exact title. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, it was Wild Vet Adventures with Dr. Gabby Wild. Good memory. Well, it, it, it ties in here a little bit because I'm, I'm curious when you're working with wild animals, and we're talking about lions and tigers and bears, oh my. Um, Indeed. When you're, you know, in a position of working with them, have you developed a Gabby Wild language that universally conveys calm and compassion in order to work with these animals and not trigger their fight or flight response? Very interesting. Um, so, yes, yeah, so my job, just, just so others can understand, is I, I travel mainly internationally, but I work in the United States as well a lot. Um, to work with endangered wildlife, and not, not endangered, in fact, so wildlife in general. Some of those species are, if you will, owned. So it may be an elephant that was once part of the logging industry, and it now has a mahout, or a, a, usually it's a gentleman, who takes care of that elephant, and it lives semi-wild, but at the same time, it knows that it has his friends. Those animals, I have learned commands, and I've learned to, to, if you will, communicate to them exactly what I need them to do. In the zoo, I also have learned commands so I can communicate to the wildlife what I need them to do for their safety for, for checkup examination. But there are certain species that I, I never want them to feel comfortable with me. I want wildlife to feel wild and... Um, and it's it's really quite essential that they always feel that that danger around me, because if they don't, then it's then when they do meet another human, they are at risk of of being killed potentially, or their survival mechanisms will be significantly reduced. So when I work with wildlife, I really try to anesthetize them so that my experience with them is peaceful. And that way they are not afraid of me because they should be. And for those that aren't afraid for whatever reason, because they've been habituated with animals, excuse me, with humans, that they they have a minimal contact with me and that they, 
feel at peace. And I've come to learn their behaviors of what their other species do to speak to them, if you will. And I try to, to mimic that kind of behavior. Um, they don't want me to talk to them. I have a high-pitched munchkin voice. And in general, they, they don't want that. They want what's natural. And I try to mimic what might be natural from what I've observed from their species. So, for example, um, I work a lot with, with elephants. And a very big form of communication is with their trunks. For example, they hold each other with their trunks, like hand in hand. I call it trunk in trunk. Um, mm. And so when I've worked with a lot of babies, that's how the mothers hold them and show compassion and, and even wrap their trunks around them. So I actually try to do the same with my arms and my hand. And um, my work started with, I get all choked up with um, baby elephants that were orphaned. And um, so sorry, I'm so sensitive. Um, <clears throat> um, and it was it was just really important to me to give them that same feeling because they they were really really sad and lonely. I don't want to compare it to a child not having a parent, but they they live in a matriarchal society, and it was very very apparent to me the the orphaned elephants that that didn't have anybody and it was always such a blessing when we could find a, a foster mom or a stepmom to step in to, to help them and um the work really became impacted by orphaned elephants and that's kind of what pushed me to start my own foundation for threatened wildlife and that the the gabby wild foundation i know it's such an original name but um <laughs> But, but that, that's how it all started. And that's how I, I've learned to find well, ways to communicate with them. And I want to mention, because, um, because you brought up elephants, that you are the first acupuncturist of elephants to treat elephants with acupuncture. In the 3,000 years. <laughs> yeah, in 3,000 years. And, and that sounds like a little factoid, but, but that means... In order to be an acupuncturist for any animal, for any species, do you have to really know and understand the anatomy of that animal or species? Absolutely. To be a veterinarian, you have to understand anatomy. To be a doctor of any any type, sure. that's where it starts. Structure, the, uh, the structure of anything gives you its function. So... Absolutely, I need to know the anatomy, but you can also adapt it. You learn that this is the knee, and this is the knee of another creature, and this point located in a similar region of that creature and this similar musculature is going to has been shown to lead to this outcome. So you find your point that way. And um, my mentor, Dr. Che from the Chi Institute, um, helped develop with me these acupuncture charts of from ancient elephant acupuncture charts. I do not speak Mandarin. Um, and so he is able to take these charts and help me, you know, figure out what they were saying and what, what points were which and decode them. And then I went out in the field and started using it. 
Gabby, one thing I want to make sure before we run out of time to mention, you were talking about there were certain animals that you didn't want to become comfortable with you and and not fear you. Um, And I I think we ought to mention that the reverse is true. Regardless of how cute and, and adorable animals might be, wild animals are still wild and and dangerous and we shouldn't assume that because our intentions are good that that's going to be recognized absolutely absolutely so many people think oh how precious little baby tiger cub let's take photos with it that is so damaging could you imagine someone taking your child from you and saying Oh, how cute. Let me take photos of it. You'd be, you'd be freaking out. People don't even want a photo of it in your arms, let alone taking it away from you to take photos of it. And giving animals that respect, we, we are food. We are intimidating. They, it's, it's unacceptable to do that. But that applies to so many species a lot of time, and especially in spring and summer when babies are coming out. I'm we, thinking even, like, oh, how, even yeah. feral cats and dogs. You know, you yeah. should you should be very wary approaching them. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And even someone's pet, I constantly caution people, don't just go up and touch a dog. It's an excellent way, A, to get bitten, and B, to, to really petrify that animal. It's just always polite when you, if, you, if it's attached to a person, and if you really are so inclined to, to pet the animal, to just ask, may I? Are they friendly? Let them sniff you so they get to, you know, get, get your mark. And that is a form of communication between the, these two species, you and the dog or the cat. And then you can go ahead and, and do what you need to do. Um, but even for when you said feral, oh, my gosh, leave, leave them be. Leave them be unless you're part of a TNR program, a different group of people we're talking to. And then you, you guys know what you need to do in order to provide for the appropriate public health scenario. Sure. Um, just as before, Gabby, the time that I've spent with you is, is running out and it's gone so quickly. Um, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you. Obviously, you're the veterinarian on Nat, Nat Geo Kids Animal Jam. You're the author of this uh, new book with Nat Geo Kids, How to Speak Animal. You have other books with uh, National Geographic as well. But do you have a website where people can learn more about you and your work, past, present, and future? Yes. My, my foundation, the Gabby Wild Foundation, is gabbywild.org, G-A-B-B-Y-W-I-L-D. And then a lot of our stuff is on social at this point, and predominantly um, Instagram, Facebook, and that's dr.gabbywild. And that would be the best way to, to come learn more about what we're doing, get more involved, and, and how to stay wild. Well, Gabby, thank you so much, and keep up the good work. Thank you so much. I hope you have a beautiful day. Take care. Again, that was uh, veterinarian Dr. Gabby Wild, who works with uh, Nat Geo Kids. Her latest book is How to Speak Animal, and we'll be back with more right after this. From the Tom Sunday Show. 
Lawrence, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know, I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed. It's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 15th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community School. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Wisecarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Long Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan with Blood Technology. My Community College. It's Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. 
Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Okay, okay, the story is about a minister. His name is Reverend Leroy. <laughs> Leroy was pastor of the church of the What's Happening Now. <laughs> I mean, Leroy wasn't the type of guy who'd tell you what happened a long time ago. Or what's going to happen in the future. When you go to Leroy's place, he'll tell you what's happening now. <laughs> uh, the members... The members of the congregation dug Reverend Leroy so much that they got together and chipped in, all of them chipped in, and they built Rev a new tabernacle. Well, it was really a storefront, but they renovated it. <laughs> Changed the name from Barbecue Place to Tabernacle. <laughs> Put a big sign on the front. Church of the What's Happening Now, pastored by Reverend Leroy. Now, it was the first day of the service. The day of the first service at the new tabernacle. It's early Sunday morning. Down the road, on a path, leading through the zoo, comes Reverend Leroy. Now, this Sunday morning, the rain is falling down. Brothers and sisters, the rain was falling down. And the wind was blowing. And into the pouring down wind and the rain came Reverend Leroy. As he walked through the zoo, standing there in a cage behind the bars, looking out between the bars, it's a gorilla. <laughs> now, you're laughing. You're laughing. Now, I realized that gorilla... But on the cage, on the front of the cage, where it has the name of the animal, it said, Go-Rilla. G-O, it said, Beware of the G-O-Rilla. That's Go-Rilla. Beware means watch out. Watch out for the Go-Rilla. Standing there, leaning on the cage, digging out between the bars. Rev thinks that the gorilla is a man in jail who had his civil rights violated. <laughs> Rev stops in front of the cage. He says, uh, said brother, said brother, why? Why have they got you behind those bars? Said brother, whatever they said you did, you didn't do it. Then you didn't do it, he said, because I know an innocent face when I see one. <laughs> that you didn't do it, brother. He said, I know. He said, look, just look at the hair hanging down in your nasty face. <laughs> he said, brother, they won't even let you wash your nasty face. He said, look, he said, they've even got you drinking out of a trough. He said, brother, a man has to stoop pretty low to drink from a trough. 
said, well, we're going to do something about this. He said, we're going to get the members. He said, I'm going right down to the tabernacle, and I'm going to get the members to get together. He said, and we're going to send a petition to Washington. He said, we're going to do something. He said, brother. He said, all I got is one dollar, a raincoat, and a pack of chewing gum. He said, but you can have that. He said, I'm going to give that to you. He walked over, dropped the raincoat, and extended his hand, which the gorilla clasped gently. Rep said, uh, brother, I'm going to see you in a little while. And he went to pull back, and he felt the gorilla tighten up. <laughs> the pain shot up his arm. <laughs> Down his back. Rep said, uh, brother, I told you that I would see you in a little while. Then Rev heard his spine snap. <laughs> Rev said, brother, didn't I say I would see you in a little while? And the gorilla snatched him inside the cave. Betwixt the bar. <laughs> Rev threw that small opening in the bar. Broke both shoulder blades, getting him in there. And he cut Rev's head in one paw, and he rained blows upon him with a 75-pound mass of hair-covered nut. <laughs> the breeder said, brother, said, wait a minute. Said, hold it. And the gorilla snatched him by the neck. The gorilla had a handful of the man's neck. <laughs> A handful of neck doesn't leave too much neck. <laughs> Has anybody ever had a handful of your neck? <laughs> the gorilla took him by the neck and he beat him off both sides of the cave. Then he slammed him around and slammed him down and jumped up and down and picked him up and flung him out between the bars. Rev got up. <laughs> brother, said, I'm talking to you. <laughs> said, I'm talking to you. And the gorilla glanced back over his shoulder. The ref said, you know, said, you're not a man. Said, you act like a gorilla. <laughs> said, that's the way you act. He said, whatever they said you did, you did it. <laughs> yes, you did it, and some more besides. Then I'm going to get the members to send a petition to Washington, all right, to see that you get the electric chair. Then, <laughs> oh, yes. Then, as for that hair hanging down in your nasty face, I hope they keep you in there so long, it'll cover your shaggy car. <laughs> This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
Program, don't you know? Go on, go on, get out of here. <laughs> 